at Makwe Fund Managers, and that's Makwe Masilela. Lochan Masilela, Luchame Gushe. Ang uh, Good evening to the listeners. How are you, brother? Ah, I want us to start at Pepco. You know, I was talking to Andile earlier on. I, I think, yes, we've seen the documentary of Steinhoff. There's still something to be said about the post-Marcus Uyster Pepco and some of the things they've had to deal with. Because in many ways, you know, this uh, guidance they gave to the market today about changes in their management team and uh, the mm. trading environment is also, uh, must be a milestone for that team. I mean, on the back of um, the last three to five years or so, which have been nothing short of difficult. It's definitely, yes. And I think when it comes to that saga with the likes of Steinhoff, you know, the issue, remember now, the guys we know that associated loans and settled all take it on related claims and mitigation. Mm. And they did make money out of that because apparently contributed almost 12 cents per share when it comes to their earnings and their headline earnings per share. And we know that they expect their headline earnings per share to move to, to increase by anything between 18.6 and 8.6%. But I think Putting aside everything, the guys, they've got a very good business. And I think this is one of those companies that we know that come recession, come hardship of consumers, at least their business model is very agile. Mm-hmm. And maybe because of the kind of the LFM where they mainly operate. So, yeah, it was more of a setback kind of a thing. But I think the guys have managed to come out of that whole saga when it comes to Stenhoff. And they've managed to clean themselves. Talking about that, Markway, because, I mean, the point you make around the type of LSM they target or the type of income category of consumer they would target is critical. Um, not only for their clothing retail businesses, which many people are familiar mm-hmm. with, Pep, Ackermans, Techie Town, mm-hmm. Duns, uh, Shoe City, and so on, but also furniture retail and also some of the hardware elements of the business, which um, are also very much targeted at um, lower LSM consumers. When we look at it from that vantage point, how have they fared, especially if we first take into account the clothing and general merchandise business, which is about, you know, just shy of two-thirds of the entire revenue mix of the business? I think very well, because remember, it's a cash business, and that kind of LFM, whether government is helping them by giving them grants, they have to go and buy clothing, whether for themselves or for kids, the likes of your pep and Ackerman is one of the stores that they usually visit. When it comes to a furniture business as well, you are Russell's drug laws of this world that are a little mm-hmm. bit lower. And maybe just to put it in context, clothing in general merchandise, I think, accounts for 54% of the total revenue. Furniture and appliances, electronics, you are taking a hyper corporation. You are taking almost 15% of the total revenue. Then you are building materials, you know, it's 11%. We know that there was a time when building materials was doing very well because people had to improve their work and study whole home environments. But now, coming from that very high pace, it is expected to see a little bit of a slowdown path. This is the kind of a hardware which is well located in those areas where we know that people prefer to build either by putting some lay you know, or using cash. These are not people who are relying on creating some uh, home loans to be able to build. But when it comes to closing, I have seen that people now lately are looking for value for money 
gone out the days when people were trying to buy those expensive things because the previous two years people realized that you know what they were not using them. So people are looking for things which are functional. So the likes of your paper and arguments continue to attract that kind of people. And and I and I think the other element, of course, um, is the implication. I mean, I I don't know how much local stuff these entities would produce, but the supply chain challenges in the last while would have had an impact on the inventory levels as well, um, and the ability even to pass on any cost increases to consumers in this difficult moment. Uh, what have you made of that? Yeah, but for them, I think they managed to do well when it comes to that because mm. most stuff, you know, it's locally produced, you know, especially when it comes. So there was not that major impact. And guys have been able to build up inventories over a period of time. Mm, mm. Let's take a look at uh, Discam, which also came out with some numbers. And uh, group revenue up 9.3%, earnings per share uh, up 44.7%. They declared a dividend uh, that uh, is significantly higher than the 19.5% uh, 19.5 cents per share they declared last year. But, um, yeah, what do you make of this on the back of much stronger wholesale revenue, up double-digit, um, and uh, also, I guess, uh, significant margin management? I think this is a pleasing performance, given the constraint, that consumer environment that we are experiencing now. Retail revenue itself, up 9.3%. We know it has been impacted by COVID-19 vaccine administration and testing services compared to the prior period. But the guys managed to have five retail pharmacy stores opened with eight former Medicare stores closed. Remember, they bought that brand Medicare and three retail baby stores opened. Remember, 15 baby boom percent. But mm. the biggest contributor continues to be hosting revenue to their own stores. Still, the biggest contributor compared to independent pharmacies and local choice pharmacies. But the whole group revenue is up 9.3%. Total income margins improve. I think that's a good thing. I think by almost 12%, if I'm not mistaken, it's almost at 1.7%. And when expenses had to increase, it makes sense. We know the guys have to make investments in continuous costs. The guys have to make some acquisitions. The guys have some employee costs. High fuel prices have an impact on their deliveries and impacting the wholesale or story. And also an increase when it comes to the, uh, what do you call it, the annual labor shift. Mm. And why? Because of the increased volumes. When it comes to your wholesalers, net finance costs, I think everyone should be happy mm. if you see a company being able to decrease that. I think it's yeah. almost 50%. You know, Marco, if you're growing wholesale income, and I mean, of course, this is wholesale on the back of the stuff they would sell to their own stores, but they would also sell to others, much like what Clicks does as well with UPD, you know? I mean, you have a distribution and a wholesale business that also, in some cases, sells to, like, clinics, both private and public, um, and these guys have something similar. Now, if, if your wholesale total income is growing 31.2%, uh, with the wholesale margin improving uh, significantly, and you have a very strong cash balance. Uh, there's a lot, I guess, of gunpowder, you know, uh, in the arsenal there. Uh, and you go and you buy distribu- CT distribution, KZN Warehouse, Eladora Proprietary Limited. Um, and yes, what might be seen, I guess, as marginal related party transactions because there was some links before. It yeah. does show that they're quite bullish about where potentially the role of the wholesale business will be. 
um, in their future income statements and I guess what they report from an earnings perspective to the market? And it just makes perfect sense, you know, because yes, you might not like this camera store or you might not have one near where you are living, mm. but the fact that that distributing to some independent pharmacies does an income for them, sure. unlike relying on consumers, call it the retailer who's going to be walking into their store. So yes, they'll be benefiting from that end. People might have stories. Maybe say people use that letter that they've seen from the CEO and say, listen, they're no longer coming to this camp. But indirectly, they're not aware that they're supporting this camp because if you go to the independent pharmacy, probably those guys have been supplied by this camp mm. because they a wholesaler later. So yeah, we're not saying they must do wrong things, but I think it's a very nice way of splitting your revenue stretch. Yeah, it's uh, certainly an interesting one here. But of course, if you hold this share, some dividends coming your way. What do you make of what they've done insofar as uh, capital spending is concerned, Makwe, and also uh, the financing of that debt burden, $125 million in capital repayments, um, looking to reduce interest paid uh, on a long-term loan they have there, and also some capital spend on IT systems and uh, the warehouses we were talking about? I think it makes perfect sense, and especially after getting that just over from it, mm. let alone on our day-to-day. And, you know, I always say that the debt is good. It depends what are you doing with it. Mm. If your debt is going to help you to make more money, then why not? The problem is if you take debt just for, for consumption or OPEX. Yeah. Exactly. So I think they're on the right track so far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting one here coming out of Discam. And of course, uh, all of this coming in a context where the employment equity headaches still continue. Um, and I think um, it might be a headache, Mark, we're just out of interest before we leave this story. If indeed they are seeing the expansion of their wholesale business or offering going beyond just independent, you know, neighborhood pharmacies, Mm-hmm. Um, towards even the dispensaries of the public sector, then, of course, this employment equity and BEE story might be a bit more material for them. I mean, is is that something that you think is in the horizon that they're considering? Definitely they are. And I think with the new BEE scheme that they've done with other shareholders on board, I, we hope they're also putting pressure that, listen, we need to be transforming. It cannot always be like that. And bear in mind that this company... It only started to be open to the public and listed just only now. All along, it was run by the founder. Mm. So some of the family. The family. So some of the things, they didn't see them necessarily. But you are right that they are waking up to the fact that we need to transform. And we hope they don't just do the transformation part of things as a tick box exercise. Mm. Yeah. They do for the right reasons. We've seen people doing tick box exercises. But yeah. Hopefully they do it correctly, and hopefully the other guys they put the right pressure before maybe they start uh, sponsoring a soccer team. Mm. I mean, we, some of the shareholders are uh, the old soccer team, so they might. No, Marawena, you are afraid to say it because I, I was about to ask you whether maybe you are involved in Black Panther a consortium there, because I know there's a consortium <laughs> that has bought into a discam which includes, and the person you're talking no. about is Sandile Zungu. Who has about, no, 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 uh, no. Zoom with a shareholder, and it will make sense. Yes, it's part of that consortium, the Black Panther consortium. Yeah, and, we have and the Wakanda Patrick one. Patrick Mukherjee did the same thing with this Batobonke. At some point, was sponsoring Sanders. So there's nothing wrong with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why is it when it's Amazulu, uh, there's an issue? 
Ay, Marquez. Ay, Marquez. Uh-uh. Yeah, so out of interest there, some of those BE shareholders, Royal Bafokeng Holdings, around 6.63%. Uh, and then the Black Panther Consortium, which uh, includes Nyamagaishi, the Sandile Zungu's uh, Zungu Investment Company, um, alongside Glowcap and Temo. So we'll certainly watch uh, what that looks like, not only just on the ownership front, but even, I guess, insofar as employment equity is concerned. But Mark, yeah. the other story, of course, that uh, we saw uh, in the markets today uh, and coming out of a London courtroom. Hey, stories here of Glencore flying money on private jets. <laughs> now, when I say money, these are bribes. Flying bribes in cash in private jets to go and pay officials in Nigeria, Cameroon, Ivory Coast, Equatorial Guinea, Republic of the Congo. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I know the list doesn't end there, but... Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I because can't believe the list ends there, man. <laughs> let's just let's, let's just get this into Should our we head. deal with this one with this list, ne? As it I'm is. A, I'm at corruption level, Steve. When I'm a level. This so, is other corruption. This what, one. You you push brown envelopes at Martin B or Wimpy or at a car wash, <laughs> others they go to other levels. You put money in a boat, you think you are happening, you know, in a German sedan, you think you are pushing it. People now have taken this to another level. They use private jets to take money where it's supposed to go. But these companies are having it nice. They're just too big to fail. You know, sure. already they've budgeted for this. I think the last financial they said they put how much aside? Mm. 1.5 billion US dollars. And I think just over a billion of that is just for the funds when it comes to the US and Brazil. And I think just uh, the balance is for UK. But the guys know that this can be done. And then at some point, we'll just pay a fine. It doesn't only start with them. People have done this before back home with bread, fixing bread. Mm. They pay the bread. The construction companies, our banks, they've done it. So people know that let's do it. If they catch us, we don't even admit guilt. You know, I think they could admit this time admitting guilt. But people will tell you that, you know what, not admission of guilt. But just to settle this so that we can clear all of yeah, our like lives. Yeah, it's like what Deloitte said. Yeah. It's like what they even said on the show as well. I mean, Deloitte, they said, no, yeah. no we paid, Hello, but what? it was not an admission of guilt. Yeah, um, Deloitte, was PwC, that's still yeah. auditing. But you know, uh, what's for me interesting, uh, Mark, where that you say even here at home, because at the time when all of this stuff was happening, one of the senior leaders of Glencore is a South African gentleman. You know, mm. uh, Ivan Glassenberg, Fitz yeah. alumnus. Um, and I'm not shocked because I guess in a way it speaks volumes about how embedded cultures of, you know, transactional forms of fraud and corruption are in South mm. African business. I mean, we know it, even state capture, you know, corruption from anything from consulting contracts to ICT, software mm-hmm. packages, all manner of things. So, yeah, I guess um, very South African of many of those at the helm of uh, Glencore, if I can say that. Yeah, and even the, the, I think uh, even Elon Musk, I think he talks trying to buy them, getting a twenty percent stake out of this whole thing. So all I'm saying is, you know, people still don't mind to be associated with Kenko. And I wonder if this is the case, will they apply what they've done with the likes of Bain? You know, mm. will be suspended over a period because remember, UK was the first one to suspend Bain, not to do business with them even though it's still under appeal or review, whatever it is. So will the same thing apply? No, because they know they cannot exist without the Glencore. 
they know the commodities market will be affected. Remember, this is not just an ordinary miner. It's also a trader. Trader, yeah. I'm a levels, Baba. Yes, yes, <laughs> and you're right. I mean, Baba Bamba, ne brown bags, ne plastic bags, <laughs> Playing games. Makwe, should we expect the mother of all strikes from the teachers? Probably not from the teachers, but the nurses, the police people, you know, the janitors and others who are working in the public service, except for the teachers, because it seems the teachers have taken think, the 3%. I think, I think we will, if the government doesn't move on their 3%. And I'm saying money is tight. Yes, CPI is 7.5, but you cannot offer people 3%. Look who transmit second mm. or six, you know. Look who Sibaye, you know, either they are back and Marikana operations, second for six. I'm saying the government has to move from three. And obviously, we know the guys will move from ten. That's a given. They know they're not going to get ten. But the three, I think, is just too, too little. And it's not a question of where the government will get money. I, I think something we need some special section when it comes to the budget. Let us be shown the money that departments and municipalities retained and spent. Hmm. That I, part, I yeah, think it yeah. deserves to have its own section. And I'm saying money like that, though they've cost us an opportunity to cost in the economy, but money like that, that's where we first have to tap before we even go anywhere else. But also, Mark, we're just the entire system for me. Like, the entire composition of national and in particular provincial government. I think there's massive scope there for bringing together of certain ministries, restructuring, shifting people to agencies and all of that. Because as it currently stands, Zingati, it's some form of massive empire of fiefdom. And I think that that is not where actually a lot of the frontline service delivery happens. So it's quite unfortunate that we find ourselves there. But Makwe, we're going to have to leave it here, bro. Always a pleasure catching up with you. And uh, thank you very much for your time. Siat Hogos. Makwe Masilela, Chief Investment Officer and Founder out at Makwe Fund Managers, joining us for our wrap of the top business stories.